Hello all sentient beings and welcome to the Transmissions Podcast where we talk about all news, toys, and comics related to the... On this episode of Transmissions, we'll talk with IDW Comics colorist Josh Burcham and we'll find out how he gets stuff done. We're also going to talk about toys with the reissue of Masterpiece Starscream version 2 and in our comics section we'll take a look back at Marvel Comics issue 7. We have all this and so very much more on this very special episode of Transmissions. Welcome to Transmissions, the podcast for giant shape-changing robots and the people who love them. I'm your host, Charles, a.k.a. Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team. Yusuf, better known as Yoshi. Yo! Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko. Hey. And Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Let's talk Transformers. All right, and today we have a very special guest. If you've read any of the Transformers comic series published by IDW in the last few years, chances are you've seen his work. He is colorist extraordinaire, Mr. Josh Burcham. Hello, Josh, and thanks for coming on Transmissions. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be here. Hey, Josh. (laughs) What's up? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're going to start off with an interview, and then Josh is going to stick around for the rest of the show, too. So. Thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, it'll be fun. The next eight hours should go by like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's start off. We'll let's get into the Josh Burcham origin story here. So, <laughs> was there a certain point in your life that you can look back on and say this was the point I wanted to become an artist? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I could say there's really one uh, specific point. I, I just kind of always uh, arted. <laughs> I've always done art and, and sketching and drawing and stuff since uh, really before I can remember. Um, uh, my mom always tells me how she used to find like little comics and stuff that I had drawn myself. And I used to, I remember, uh, I used to be kind of big into football back then. And so, I'm not like too big, but I, I like the teams and the logos and stuff. So I used to like draw football fields and just like random junk and stuff like that. Um, so I'd always, I've, I've always drawn and done art kind of stuff. I don't know if there's ever really been a moment where I just decided like, Hmm, I'm going to do this now. Um, it's just kind of all just kind of happened really. It's kind of always been there, I guess. Oh, cool. So you were, you were born with a pencil in your hand, basically. <laughs> Pretty much. So how did you break into the comics industry? That was, uh, growing up, I actually wasn't really all that, uh, too into comic books. Like I, like I mentioned that I used to like draw, like kind of comics, I guess. And I guess comics is just kind of, I, I use that term loosely. They're just like random images just so happening to be on the same page or something. Um, but, uh, I was never really into comics. Like I never really bought them, never really collected them, never really followed any of the stories. Like I, I knew who like Batman was. And stuff like that, but that was mostly because movies and stuff. And so comics was wasn't ever really on my radar uh, when I was growing up as a kid. And um, I just I just never really cared for them. I guess um, I, I used to run across at, at garage sales like mom uh, old copies of the Marvel comics. I know you guys are going to talk about one later or whatever, but um, I, I'd find them at garage sales and I'd kind of my mom would just buy them just because they said Transformers and I'd have them and I'd give them a flip through and I'd go, okay, that's cool toss it aside and never really gave it much thought just because the, the the artwork i guess never really impressed me as a kid and um 
nothing against any of the artists or anything who worked on those books, but uh, it just wasn't my thing. Just the, the style of how it looked and, and the coloring was all really simple and everything was pink and yellow and <laughs> I didn't quite <laughs> understand what that whole deal was. And so um, that was comic books to me and, and it just never really appealed um, to me until I guess Dreamwave really came around. Um, they started putting stuff online. I, I had been posting on message boards like TFW and um, the AllSpark and stuff like that. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when the Dreamwave started uh, putting stuff out, like they're going to be doing the next comic book and putting artwork out, I started to kind of get interested. Like, um, I guess I was just kind of taken back by uh, just kind of going like, "This is what comic book art looks like now," and you know, it was all shiny and these crazy awesome colors and and just it, it looked really cool the images were really cool and so that's kind of i guess what got me on the road uh to doing stuff like that or got me interested and uh like like i said i, I had always kind of drawn and sketched and stuff like that and so um i i had done like fan art and stuff and that's why that's that's mainly the reason why i posted on those message boards was to uh, i used to draw stuff and 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 put it online for people to see and check out. And uh, it was just really for fun. I, nothing. I, I didn't really have any motive behind it to to cat to get a job doing it, just because I thought it was such a a far out, far reaching dream. You know, a a, a well that would be cool if someday um, I could maybe do that. But it wasn't really. Didn't expect it to happen. I guess. Okay. And, um, yeah. It just kind of. That, that's kind of what really got me. I, I, I was I was doing fan art at the time, and uh, I'd started getting into digital coloring a little bit because I, at the time, I didn't have any way to get my artwork into the computer. I didn't have like a scanner or anything, and so I just kind of made did made made do with like a a copy of Photoshop that I had from school, and uh, started teaching myself how to color. And um, the stuff that I was doing for for the fan art stuff was was the same kind of process for that they were doing on the Dreamwave stuff. So I was like, hmm, that'd be cool. Uh, you know, kind of like I said, that'd be cool if maybe someday I could do that. And uh, eventually, I just kind of worked up. I, I practiced a lot, uh, self-taught really mostly, um, how to color and how to shade and and do all that kind of stuff. And uh, eventually, got a hold of one some guy. I forget what his name is. Um, but he worked for Dreamwave. He's a production assistant or something like that. And uh, I, I found him on AOL Instant Messenger. I just I was uh, I just it, I just typed in the search bar. I was like, mm, I wonder if I could find anybody if I typed in Dreamwave. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I came across that guy. And so I, was, I started talking to the guy. I was like, Hey, uh, what's up? How are you doing? Uh, my name's Josh. And do you really work for Dreamwave? And he's like, Yeah. And um, so we eventually we got to talking and. Um, he agreed to show some of my artwork to their art director. And so we kind of went back and forth a couple times, me and the art director, until eventually uh, they hired me to color the Armada more than meets the eye profile books. I did some colors in that. And um, then I went on to War Within, uh, the Age of Wrath, and kind of followed the brand over to IDW, and it's been downhill since. <laughs> it's kind of the lengthy reply, I guess, response. but <laughs> Cool. So it's... So that so that more than meets the eye book was your uh, your first paid work, yeah. Cool. So I guess then that means you were a, you were a Transformers fan first, and you weren't really into comics at all, but you were still into Transformers pretty big. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I had grown up kind of the same thing with art. Um, 
like Transformers was kind of always there. Like I always had the toys. Like there was never no point in my life where I didn't have them or I didn't really like know who they were. And I had like VCR tapes with recorded episodes on them and, and like the old, the 86 movie on them that I used to watch over and over as a kid. And so I, like I grew up with Transformers and, and then went on to Beast Wars and such. And, and, and yeah, that's Transformers is what kind of put me on the comics and, and, uh, it's pretty interesting. You know? That's pretty cool. All right. So yeah, so I, you told us how you, I guess you self taught yourself how to do coloring. So, can you take us through the process for, I guess, doing modern coloring for a comic? I know it's not like it was back in the 80s where I don't know what they were doing with uh, how they were painting things there, but I guess all, it's all digital now. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, I Like the same with you, I really have no idea how the hell they did it back then. I just knew that at the time when I was a kid, I didn't really care for it. Um, but um, but nowadays, yeah, it's all digital. Um, I work uh, with Adobe Photoshop. And, um, it's really pretty simple. I mean, the, the process is, um, basically I, I, I just uh, have an email with the editor and, um, he'll, he'll send me a copy of the script and, and then I'll start getting the black and white pages, uh, the inked pages from whoever's drawing it. Um, more than meets the eye, it's typically Alex Milne. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'll just get scanned, uh, black and white, huge high resolution, um, scans of, the artwork and I just kind of, I, I, usually my process is I, I get the script and I give it a, I give it a read through and just kind of get, get a feel for the story and the, the different scenes and, um, and then pages kind of start coming in in batches and, uh, I just kind of work on them, um, in, in that order. I like to go from beginning to end, but sometimes deadlines are crazy and you just kind of do random pages whenever, but, uh, yeah, I, I work in Photoshop. I use, um, a Wacom, Cintiq tablet, which is like a big old, um, mine's a 21 inch. It's like a big monitor that you just draw on really. And, uh, that's kind of like the process. I'll get a script. I'll read it through. I'll get the pages. Um, I, I lay down what's called the flat colors, which is just the basic, you know, whatever color the guys are. And I just go through, add shading and highlights and special effects. And soon, sooner or later, after a few hours, uh, I get a finished page. Okay. So I guess it, it sounds like, you get you kind of get things after the the writer and the artist has has kind of cemented things. Do you ever get a chance to provide some feedback on any of the story or art? Um, story stuff, yeah. I, I I'm coloring is kind of is more the end kind of of the line, the production line, I guess. Really, um, so there is I don't usually have too much input on the stories. Um, usually, all that stuff is figured out pretty pretty far before it ever gets to me. Um, but there has been occasions, uh, you know, occasional sometimes where, um, like, I guess one example is, uh, back in All Hill Megatron, I, I worked on that and there was, uh, I, I was all big on continuity. So I wanted to make it, it as, as, as much as All Hill Megatron didn't feel like it was in continuity, it still was. And, um, the, the scene where the Constructicons were all combining, uh, you know, merging to form Devastator, um, our, our first go, one of the panels, it shows them all like, Mid transformation and combining, um, it was just, it was just the characters flying around in space or whatever. And I had suggested that we add, um, because it, it, back then it was the OR 13 that kind of gave you the energy to mass shift and to combine and stuff like that. And so to, to highlight that, there was these special like lightning spark, sparkly time uh, effects that would go on. And so I, I really pushed for that to kind of happen. 
just for there to be to be that visual continuity because we'd done that before uh, with like the Monstructor guys and uh, back when Megatron transformed and mass shifted. Um, had it had those kind of special the, those effects around him, and so I kind of pushed for that to happen. And uh, originally they didn't want to do that, but um, I told them I could make it work and and look good. Yeah, I always uh, I that was one of the things I always wondered about All Hail Megatron was what happened to Or Thirteen because that seemed like a pretty big plot point from from Simon Furman's run, but whatever. <laughs> So uh, another question about your coloring process. So how do you main, maintain continuity with all the colors for all the characters? I mean, it seems like, like especially with something like More Than Meets the Eye, where you've got so many different characters, they've got all very individual colors. They've got, you know, lots of details all over their bodies. So how do you keep all that straight? Do you have like a list or a database? Mm-hmm. Nothing as organized as that. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically it's just... Uh, uh, whenever they show up is kind of whenever I determine what what shade or whatever color that they're going to be. Uh, for more than meets the eye, at least I know um, some other people uh, they'll they'll do they'll do it another way. But I, I reuse a lot of the same colors. So like the same red that's on Ratchet is the same red that's on Ultra Magnus, which is the same red that's on Atomizer, which is whatever. That particular shade of red is it's used on everybody. And so that kind of helps me out, so that way I don't have like a million different shades of reds that I gotta kind of keep track of. I can, I can just use the same shade if like Swerve showed up in a panel on one page, I can use the same red that I used on Ultra Magnus on the page before, so that way I don't have to go digging and and finding Swerve red. Um, but I know other artists they they like to to do their own like this red is this person's and this red is another's and. Um, but I try not to do that, mostly just for speed's sake, just because um, deadlines get so tight that I don't have time to do that. So I just I share all the colors. But um, yeah, there's nothing really like a like a style guide or or, or a character model sheet or anything okay. that we share. It's just kind of whatever. If a new character shows up and I don't know quite what colors he is, I just do a quick trip to Google and and, and just kind of <laughs> go from there. Right. <laughs> So is there a writer or artist that's either easier or harder to work with? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, 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 the, they're all, they're all pretty great to work with. Um, I know that, um, they, they, I mean, they all kind of have their own style. So there's different kind of quirks to each of them that you kind of get used to. But, um, most of the time, I mean, all, all the scripts are kind of written in the same kind of format. And so nothing's different, like in that way. Um, like there's nothing like out there, like, I don't know what you're trying to say here. What, what's this mean? Kind of a thing. It's all kind of pretty cut and dry, but, um, yeah, I enjoy working with all the writers that I have worked with so far. Um, Simon and James and, uh, Shane and whoever else. I mean, it's all been pretty good. I don't really have any horror stories or anything <laughs> about any of them, but. Okay. Uh, just a, a question that for people who are not in the comics industry is, is it, True. Is it most uh, like artists and colorists are working freelance? Right. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, most. Most all the guys. It's all freelancey. I, I know. I am all. Uh, most the color. Most the, the colorists that I know, and the artists that I know, and the writers that I know. It, it's all freelance. We we all have like a. Uh, there's no like exclusive like contract sign. Like I know Marvel does that sometimes with some of the bigger names. Like. Um, 
exclusive contracts where you can only work on Marvel books for like two years and that's it. But, um, yeah, it's all freelance. So it's kind of. Okay. So how does that uh, work into like, how much work do you have to fit in to kind of just make a living or do you, do you have to, do you have like a capacity of how much you have to work on or how much you think you can work on in like a month or a year that basically has you satisfied for the, you know, for the entire time? Yeah. Um, typically, I kind of, how I've been kind of doing it is really it's just kind of one title, one book really. Like for more than meets the eye, that's pretty much the only series I've worked on. Um, there's been occasional side projects kind of here and there, you know, filling in on different books and, and doing random like commission type stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, usually month by month, I, I'll usually do two issues a month or whatever. Okay. If it's a good month. And really, since it's all freelance, I mean, it's, it's as much work as you think you can handle, uh, or you can handle is really how much money you make. So it, it's, it's up to you how much money you want to make and, or you don't want to make. Um, but I like to do, uh, just, you know, a couple, couple books a month. Um, I'm trying to branch out, um, just kind of not for money's sake, really, but, uh, just to do other stuff. Um, like this week, I just finished up colors on a, a working on a Samurai Jack comic for IDW, cool. which is a, a bit of a different a change of pace from Transformers stuff. Um, but we're literally literally wrapping that issue up today, uh, this week, uh, issue two of that. So um, it's been fun. It's just it's it's a good challenge, you know, to stretch myself and kind of get away from um, the norm, I guess, the the regular Transformer stuff that I've been doing for yeah almost ten years. I think it is. <laughs> wow. So are you are you doing the art or the colors on the Samurai Jack? Uh just the colors for that. Um the the guy who's doing the artwork, he's actually he's an actual character designer from the Samurai Jack TV show. Oh wow, okay. So yeah, it's really really great stuff. Yeah, I was I was a big fan of Samurai Jack back in the day. That was a great show. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> All right, yeah, so a, a lot of people are are most familiar with your coloring, but I I've seen a you know some of your line art online and I actually really like it. So I want to ask you, uh, so when you do line art, do you prefer to color it yourself or, or which colorist would you like to see coloring your art? Uh, yeah, that's a good question, I guess. Um, it's not, typically I usually always just color my own stuff, but, um, I guess it's mostly because I feel like nobody else would want to. <laughs> it's just like, oh man, this, this <laughs> artwork is like, an artist is always the most critical on his own self or whatever, I guess, this type of thing. And so I just like, Man, nobody else will want. I won't bother anybody else, anybody else to to color my own stuff. I'll just do it myself, kind of a thing. I mean, which is fine. It's fun. I, I enjoy coloring my own stuff mostly because I guess I just kind of do shortcuts, or whatever, in, in like whatever I'm drawing. If I know I'm gonna do something with it in the colors, maybe I won't go as detailed. Like if I'm gonna have like some weird atmospheric effects or something crazy like that, I won't go crazy detailed. And um, rely on more the digital stuff to to carry the weight there. But um, so yeah, it's not that uh that I like to color it myself, or I won't let anybody else do it. Um, but as for who I'd like to, man, uh, anybody who would want to, I guess, who who doesn't think it's terrible, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm up for it. Uh, I haven't really collaborated with too many people uh, who have colored my own my my line art, but uh, it would definitely be fun to to see that happen though sometime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, just to, you know, just to personally, I really like your art because it reminds me very much of 
uh, Jeff Senior, who was a classic uh, G1 comic book artist. So um, I don't know if if you're familiar at all with his work, but it really reminds (laughs) me of that. And also kind of the some of the facial expressiveness reminds me of Transformers Animated. So I was just wondering if if you got any inspiration from those sources or was it just a coincidence? Oh, no, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Senior. Uh, yeah, I've taken a lot of cues. I guess the biggest like inspirations for my own artwork was definitely Jeff Senior's like up there, like number one. Okay. Him and, uh, like Derek Yanniker on the G2 stuff. That stuff was awesome. I love that. How gritty it was. Um, but yeah, De- Jeff Senior is definitely a big in- inspiration. So, uh, I definitely know who he is and I actually got to color some of his, uh, Regeneration 1 covers. Which was like a, a dream come true for me getting to work with that guy. He's like a legend to me. So, um, definitely, definitely some Jeff Senior in my own artwork. And whenever I, I, I hear people, you know, compliment me and say that kind of stuff, it just kind of, uh, warms my heart, I guess. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, mm, thank you. That, that means a lot. And, um, and definitely with animated, animated is probably one of my favorite, uh, incarnations of Transformers. So I, I try to incorporate yeah, any cool stuff that I see kind of from anywhere or from any artist. Um, sometimes there's a little bit of Nick Roach in some of my stuff or, uh, I've heard people say, and it's just kind of anything that I think is kind of cool in whatever series or maybe it's not even Transformers. Uh, I, I follow the artist, uh, Scotty Young. He does a lot of work for Marvel and, um, I, I take a lot of inspiration from his stuff too for my own artwork. So yeah. Oh, cool. So if you got the chance, so what, comic it, you know it can be transformers or anything else would you like to draw and or color i'd love to someday maybe draw you know like a guest issue or something of more than meets the eye i think that'd be fun um I, i'd really enjoy that just be able to draw an issue doesn't even have to be anything special i'd love to do that uh, as far as there isn't much like i i feel comfortable like wa- wanting to draw i guess because I, I i just don't I don't think that much of myself as far as like a penciler goes kind of a thing. Like I am definitely more comfortable with coloring and I feel that I'm better at that. So I kind of stick more to that kind of stuff. Um, like I'd love to, um, work on like Batman, Iron Man, you know, the, the, the usual suspects, I guess I'd love to work on that kind of stuff. Uh, as, as a colorist, I think I could handle that kind of a, that kind of a thing. Um, but drawing, yeah, I just kind of, I'm great. I'm grateful for anything, any opportunity that I get. So I'm not too, uh, like begging for a job to draw or whatever, but. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe you can keep, uh, keep sending those, those pages, uh, from the sound of breaking glass. We, <laughs> we saw that, <laughs> the one you put up on Twitter that looked pretty good, looked pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to do more of those. I'm going to see brainstorm running around squeeing for, for days. <laughs> This is such a good scene. I had to draw it. <laughs> so, uh, when there's an issue, so we've seen, you know, sometimes, uh, there are multiple colorists on a single issue. So when that happens, uh, how do, how do you kind of portion out the pages between colors? Do you have fights over who gets to color which pages? <laughs> uh, nothing as dramatic as that. Um, most of the time, usually, uh, when, when we get kind of tight on a deadline, I'll get an email from John Barber, the editor, saying, Hey, I'm thinking about you know, the deadlines here. How many, how many pages do you think you could handle? How many should I give out to somebody else? And, uh, that's kind of how it goes. Usually we just kind of divvy it up by scenes. Um, you know, like any, like certain scenes that take place in 
a certain location or whatever. So that way it's kind of more, um, like there's less work going into like trying to match colors and different things because when there's multiple colors, like we're all working on pages at the same time. And so if my pages like inside, like say the bridge of the lost light, I'm working on those and another one's working on pages from that same scene, but they get, but they don't see my colors. They can maybe color the background like purple when I'm doing it like blue or whatever. And, um, so that wouldn't be a very good thing. <laughs> so we, we try to, try to divvy them up kind of by scenes and, and characters and, uh, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, usually it's pretty good. I, I used to be kind of pretty scared, uh, whenever we'd have to do that just because, uh, back then, like you, you'd never really know what colorist they would get, so you never know like how how those pages would stack up against yours, like if they would match, if it would uh, take people out of the story. But uh, on more than meets the eye, at least I, I know the editorial's been pretty good at getting some really good colorists, like uh, Joanna and Josh Perez, and uh, Joanna especially, like she she's like a chameleon like uh, i would like at issue 16 she did a handful of pages and some of those like i could swear that i did them um she she copied uh my style so well um so it's really great i'm I'm not so worried about it as much on more than meets the eye anymore yeah i think idw really has a lot of great colorists working for them yeah hands down yeah yeah so uh let's talk a little bit about uh your just time in the transformers fandom in general so you mentioned that you you've had you know you've had transformers since you were a kid so how did you get into the fandom in general um yeah yeah uh like i've always had transformers around and i've always kind of with the movie i could quote it like backwards and forwards as a kid like i watched it so much but uh the fandom stuff i didn't really get into it until like we got internet like uh the mid late 90s uh, when the internet was all starting to be cool and stuff. And, uh, like Beast Wars was coming out. And I, I remember actually, uh, my parents had gotten me a couple of Beast Wars toys. It was Pterosaur and like the little turtle guy. I forget what his name is. Um, but, uh, I got those and it said Beast Wars and underneath it in little letters it said Transformers. And I was like, man, what is this? Like, <laughs> this is not real Transformers. Like, this is some knockoff or something. And I didn't like them. Uh, I was like, man, this is, where's Optimus Prime? Where's the, where's the cars and trucks? And, and so I didn't like it, um, at all. And I just kind of threw those toys to the side and, and went, went back to playing, uh, with my G1 stuff <laughs> that I still had. Um, but a, a few years after that, or whenever, uh, Beast Wars was on, on it, on the air and I caught a couple episodes and one of them was the episode where, I forget where, I think it was Waspinator, he was talking about shrapnel and, and stuff like that, the G1 guy, Insecticon guys, and Autobots and Decepticons, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe this really is Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, started watching Beast Wars, I started getting into the show, I started, uh, getting back into collecting, and, and getting more stuff, and I started getting back into the figures and following the show, and, uh, we had the internet, and so that's when I started going online and just typing in Transformers and seeing what I could find, and, uh, eventually ran across sites like TFW and, and, and the different fan websites and message boards, and, uh, got interested and kind of got plugged in and started posting and, you know, talking with other fans about stuff, and, uh, that's kind of, yeah, I think that's about it. Cool. 
So, uh, you know, you've done, you start, you got started with Dreamwave and you've been, you know, pretty much all throughout the IDW, uh, Transformers comics run. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there a particular time, like within this whole, like you mentioned you've been doing this for about 10 years. So is there a particular time that stands out for you either for being particularly good or particularly bad? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, like it was, it was pretty rough. Like when Dreamwave uh, went under, because uh, I was, I was just starting to work on what was issue four or whatever. We were about halfway through issue four, or the whatever issue that's not published. Um, there's about, I think that issue is all the way like drawn and colored, and then part of like half of issue five is actually drawn, and and the script is all done through issue whatever five or six it is. Um, but yeah, it was around Christmas time or whatever, and. Um, it was supposedly like the all the Dreamwave guys were on Christmas break, and and so um, I was just waiting to kind of hear back from the guys. I was still coloring pages and kind of sending them in, and and some other artists were asking, you know, if I've heard from anybody. And I was like, oh no, it's it's Christmas. They're on their Christmas break, and and then uh, when January rolled around and still didn't hear from anybody, uh, that's when when I found out that Dreamwave was no more. And I got an email saying to, to cease all, all work on whatever projects you're working on and, uh, because we're not going to publish them. So that was, that was pretty rough. And, and, uh, mm. they ended up owing a lot of people money and, uh, they ended up owing me a little bit of money, not as much as, uh, some of the numbers I've heard for other artists. But, uh, um, but yeah, that was kind of rough. And, and when that happened, I was kind of like, okay, well, now what am I going to do? There's, there's no more Transformers comics. And, I'm not really interested or that aware or know much about how to get into other stuff uh, for different companies. And so there was actually a, a, about a year where I, where I had no work, um, no color work or comic work and really no work at all. And uh, I actually did some stuff, some side stuff for a friend of mine uh, named Mike Miller, who actually drew one of the GI Joe transformer crossovers. Uh, he, he and for, it was for devil's due, but uh, he ended up starting up his own comic book company, and so I did some stuff for him, and and so there was a period of about like a year where I had like no work, and and uh, Dreamwave ended up owing me money and never seen it, so that was kind of that was kind of a low point, I guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's all been pretty great, like especially uh, not like now, like working on more than meets the eye. Um, it's just been really great, and the feedback has been amazing from all the fans. And, um, just, just how well it's been received. And, um, I'm, I'm surprised that I haven't burnt out, um, like, like I have on other projects, you know, like on All How Megatron, you know, it's just issue after issue, month after month, deadline after deadline, uh, where you're just working. And I think about six or seven issues into that series, and it was like a 12 issue series where I was starting to feel it and just like, man, like I just can't take it anymore. It's getting burnt out, kind of a thing. Not that the series was bad or I hated it or anything like that, um, but it's just kind of creative burnout. And um, I, I'm surprised that I haven't run into that on more than meets the eye. Now that we're twenty twenty something issues uh, into the series, but um, I, I guess I blame it on all the fans. I blame it on all the people liking <laughs> it. It's kind of kind of helped fuel me. So thanks. <laughs> Flattery gets you everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, that was a low point. So thinking about the good times with Dreamwave, how would you compare the working environments between Dreamwave and IDW? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to compare because really it's all 
for me anyways, it's all so separate. Um, uh, like I only ever talked with those guys by email and, and really the same thing with IDW. Um, I only ever get like face to face contact at like BotCon stuff like that. Or every once in a while we'll talk like over the phone or Skype or something like that. So like, um, the, the environment itself, it's just still just me in my room <laughs> coloring all by myself. Um, but, um, it's definitely different in a Dreamwave. I was brand new, some guy who didn't really like comic books or know much about comic books, coloring comic books, and still trying to figure all that out. And um, and now, you know, I'm I'm more into it. You know, like almost a decade into this kind of stuff, and I kind of know how things work and and all that. So um, it's definitely different, like that, I guess, uh, experience and all that. But um. I mean, it's been great. Uh, I guess communication is a lot, uh, a lot better now. Um, back then, I didn't really like. They would just, I would just talk with my editor, and that was it. He would give me a script, and that was kind of it. And I just kind of had to figure stuff out and and like that. But um, on on the books now with IDW, it's it's more or less daily contact. You know, going back and forth, emailing, talking with Alex. I Skype with Alex a, a bit, and um. And, and yeah, it, I mean, it's really good. A, a lot of us artists, we're all, we're all friends, and so we go to conventions, we all hang out and have a good time together, and uh, it's, it's just really nice. I don't know. Cool. So uh, uh, how much time does it take you to do a, a more than meets the eye issue? So you mentioned you get pages kind of piecemeal. So, so if you took the whole 22 pages, how long do you say would you say it took it took you to finish one issue? Um. Uh, generally, it, I, I I usually get done about two three pages a day, and so usually it'll, ideally it'll take a couple weeks to to pump out an issue, but but sometimes it doesn't always work out like that. Well, we get deadlines, and and sometimes uh, I'll get one of those great emails where like, hey, I I'm I'm like four or five pages into the book, or or not even halfway there, and I'll get one of those emails that's like, hey, so can we get the rest of the book by Monday? And it's Thursday. Or something like that, and uh, so those are <laughs> those are always fun. Um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, ideally, it, it's nice to get about two books out a month, uh, working at like two, three pages a day. But um, you, I mean, you just never know. Sometimes you have to do more. Sometimes you have to do less because you're you're waiting on pages from from the artist. Or uh, I mean, it's always different. Okay. So, what's your favorite character to draw or color? Mm. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't know. I, I I have one of my programs open right now. I'm just kind of doodling while I'm talking. And um, I drew Whirl from more than ACI, <laughs> so I guess he's one that I just kind of like to draw. Free well, association. He, he is your Skype avatar too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's pretty fun to draw. Um, Optimus, uh, obviously, uh, kind of cliche answer, I guess. But Optimus is definitely one of my favorite characters and one of the fun guys for me to draw just because he's he's iconic and he's easy and i can draw him without thinking about it and um yeah but i mean they're all fun to draw they're all pretty pretty cool to work on and stuff like that so except for like the movie stuff that stuff is a pain (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the movie stuff is cool too i guess so uh just uh i've i uh visit the idw um forums uh 
semi-regularly. And I've noticed a, a couple of posters they have in their signatures. They have this, they have some, some of your art and it's in the signature. It says, you know, Josh Burcham to draw transformers. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like a, a political campaign. So do you, <laughs> yeah. do you know, you know who started this and what, and just what do you think about it? Um, I, I, I'm not sure if I remember who started it. I think I want to say, uh, it, it might be Sprite, uh, the member over there. Okay. Uh, but I'm not sure, but, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just humbled by it, I guess, really. I, like, I, I did not push for it to happen. I don't want anybody to think that, uh, like I'm bribing people to put those in their signatures or something like that so I could get more work or something. That's, that's not how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's, it's really just kind of friends who have started posting that kind of a stuff. And, and, uh, I don't know, it, it's humbling. It, it means a lot that, that they, um, would, yeah, how do I say it? I don't know, be interested enough in my artwork that they would want to see it in a, an actual book or something. I, I just think that's cool. And, um, whether or not it'll happen, who knows? I, I've done some drawing for the BotCon stuff and I, I've actually been talking with those guys about doing another one here pretty soon. So um, even if it's not an IDW comic, I will be drawing something soon. So I guess that's something. <laughs> yeah. That, that actually leads into uh, our next question. So uh, we saw that you, you drew the BotCon machine wars comic this year. So how, how did that happen? And, and what kind of response did you get from fans? Um, yeah. How did that happen? Well, uh, uh, for for a while, um, since since before I started actually working on on Transformers stuff like professionally, uh, I had uh, been interested in the Machine Wars line just because it was just so so much of enigma, so much of an an enigma that like nothing was known about it. Like there were just these twelve toys and some generic couple of sentences talking about who they were, maybe. And that was it. And so I, I've always wanted to, as a fan project, do some sort of story or comic uh, about those characters and kind of give them give them a story. And so um, I'd done a lot of artwork for that stuff, just sketches and, and different drawings of Machine Wars characters and stuff that I had maybe wanted to do or go through with. And so there's all that stuff is online somewhere. And, uh, I guess, uh, Pete Sinclair from BotCon, uh, they decided to do Machine Wars and he, he had typed in Machine Wars in Google and, and Google Images and just kind of to see what would pop up. And, uh, a lot of my artwork started showing up there. And so, um, he started taking a look at it and he was like, Oh, okay. I, I like how this looks, whatever. And, and I got an email from, uh, from Pete asking, uh, the first, it was like, well, if you could work on anything, you could draw anything, what would it be? Your, your most favorite series? And I was like, uh, I don't know, like Iron Man or something. He's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm, I, I'm trying to ask you if you want to draw a machine where it's kind of a thing. And I was just like oblivious. And I was like, oh, heck yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> dropped my thing there. And, um, that's pretty much how it, how it started. Um, uh, at first I was only signed on to do just the, the tech spec artwork, the character that would come with the toys. And, um, I, I was originally planned to just color the comic book, but, uh, the artist, something, something fell through with the artist. Um, they were originally going to have, uh, Jimbo, uh, draw the whole book. He ended up only drawing the first couple of pages. Um, but, um, something fell through with that. And so Pete asked me if I wanted to draw it. And so that's kind of how it went. And, uh, like I said, now we're talking about me drawing, um, another issue or two, um, for that stuff. So. 
Cool. So do you plan, uh, I guess, do you have plans to attend BotCon next year too? Most definitely, yeah. I, I went this last year. Um, I've, I've gone to a couple before, um, but this last year was the first where, you know, they've had the artist alley kind of a thing. And so this last year was my first time having like a table and stuff there. And, um, it was, it was really good. It was, it went really well. And I had a, a really great time meeting and talking and, uh, sketching and, and, and all that stuff with, with, the uh, different fans and stuff. So I'm definitely planning on being back next year, especially with it being a movie year. Hopefully, uh, it'll be something pretty cool and special. Cool. Do you think you'll get out to any of the other uh, cons like TFCon in Canada or Auto Assembly in the UK? Um, I would absolutely love to go to both of those, um, but I- I'm over here in the West Coast, like the middle of nowhere, so it so it is kind of hard to travel all the way out there. Um, as far as money goes, most of the time, uh, generally, like it, it's all on me to pay for the whole the whole trip to to fly out there and to get a room and stuff like that. And so, so it does make it kind of tough, um, especially going international and all that stuff. So, I mean, I'd like to, as for not, uh, whether it'll happen, uh, who knows, you know? Yeah. I, I'd definitely love to, but you just never know. <laughs> I just want to interject on that one, uh, Josh. Um, the, the cons don't actually pay you to, or, or at least put you up to, to come to their con. Yeah, uh, well, at least not black. And I, I know some of the smaller conventions I've been in, invited to go to that I, I wasn't able to make this year, but um, as far as next year and stuff like that, I've had some that have offered to like pay for my room and stuff like that, which is really cool. And um, I don't know, I'm just so used to doing it, paying it all by myself, and I mean, which is all fine for me because um, whatever. But uh, uh, I, I'm just used to it, I guess. But um, so um. If anybody offers, I mean, that's, that's really, it, it makes me feel, you know, like special <laughs> or whatever, you know, it's like, oh, you guys don't have to do that. Like I can, I totally used to paying it and stuff, but, um, uh, yeah, generally most of the time, most of them don't, um, really just because at least as far as like BotCon goes, I mean, there's, they've got like the big ticket guests that go there, you know, like the voice actors or Peter Cullen, which I'm sure they pay for their whole, you know, flight room and all that kind of stuff, but, um. I'm just a lowly comic book colorist, so. <laughs> well, get ready for another internet campaign, because I gotta get some. <laughs> I gotta get some books signed by you by at TFCon, so. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get something going. We gotta get I you know. there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. Now I think uh, we're going to ask some of the questions that maybe all the listeners have been, you know, are screaming at their, at their iPods. Like, why aren't you asking them about the <laughs> comics? So, so first I'm going to ask is, is there anything at all you can tell us about uh, dark Cybertron what's coming, you know, or just, just your general thoughts. What do you think about it? Yeah. Uh, as far as dark Cybertron goes, I'm kind of, I'm pretty uh in the dark about, all that stuff. I, I haven't really worked on any of, uh, of the Dark Cybertron stuff. Like I, I've done a couple, uh, I've colored a couple covers for one of the issues, and uh, really that's been about it as far as my contribution so far. But um, I've snuck some some peeks at some pages. Um, I know that uh, Josh Perez, he's been doing a lot of coloring on all that stuff, and um, visually it looks amazing like the artwork is is amazing the stuff by uh, uh andrew griffith and uh james rays and uh, all the different you know artists who are contributing it, it all looks amazing um but as far as any story stuff i really i really have no idea <laughs> what's <laughs> happening or what's gonna happen so uh, i guess is with the more than meets the eye 
season two starting after the end of Dark Cybertron. They haven't, uh, they haven't started, uh, you know, talking about that yet either. Oh, I'm sure that, um, scripts are being written and stuff right now for, for season two or whatever. I guess that stuff will pick up what? Issue 29 or something like that. Yeah. More the PCI it'll be. Um, so we're still a ways out from that, but I'm sure scripts are being written and I haven't talked to Alex for a while, but I'm sure he's been, he's been talking with James and John and starting to rough out pages for the, for the next issue. But, um, yeah, nothing, nothing, no activity on my end yet for any of that kind of stuff. Okay. So we're going to have to have you come back on in a few months then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. So, uh, Moving a, a little bit away from comics, but so what's you, we mentioned the live action movies. So what's your general opinion of those movies? So, uh, you know, what did you, what did you think about them? Um, I overall, uh, in general, I, I, I like them. You know, I, I, I can take them as they are, I guess, and, and what, what, what they try to do. And, um, overall, I enjoy them. I mean, it's just a great, great piece of eye candy, <laughs> I guess. Uh, visually, this stuff is always amazing. What they do and the CGI is always great. Um, but I mean, if you're looking for like, I don't even know, like more than meets the eye kind of caliber of writing your story or, or depth to the to the story, I mean, you're not going to find it in a summer blockbuster, that's for sure. But um, mm. for for what it is, I, I like it. I enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to the next one just to just to see. Mostly, I'm in it for. The CGI for the designs, the the robots, and uh, eventually the toys. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what would you, if there was anything that you could change about the live action movies, what would it be? Um, I don't know. You know, like 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 I, like I guess every fan's like a wet dream for the series. It would be great if it was like a more Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I mean, they they move towards. I mean, and they kind of do in little bits here. Uh, you know, it's like slowly but surely. There's more and more more Transformer screen time. But um, like ideally, yeah, it'd be it'd be awesome to have like something like more than meets the eye on the big screen or something where it's just robots and we get into what actually makes these characters characters and not just spectacle. That would be awesome. But um, I mean. Uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, the movies, they are what they are. They make money, and so I don't see them changing it all too much. But, um, I mean, for what it is, I enjoy what they are. And, I mean, ideally, yeah, it's like anybody else. I'd love to see, like, more of the meets the eye kind of style or that kind of a depth or meat to the story where it's an actual story and not just a series of events or fights or something. But, yeah, whatever. I just, <laughs> I just like to see more than meets the eye as a movie. Yeah. Or, or an animated series that would be awesome, right? Yeah. So, uh, since you have you been to a lot of conventions in the past, do you have a like a story that stands out from going to previous conventions? That... <laughs> Good. Not, yeah, I haven't really been to. I've only. I've, let's see how many. I've been to like four bot cons or whatever, and um, yeah, I guess there's one little story, or whatever. We we went out one night after BotCon. It was what 2007, whenever the first movie came out. And um, we were out at whatever Dave and Buster's or something, and and our editor at the time, Dan Taylor, he was with us and just kind of hanging out with all all us guys. And we had just gotten done seeing that that screening of the movie, and so we were all you know high as a kite and super jazzed up about the whole thing, and like oh my god, live action Transformers! Uh, can you believe this? Like it was so cool looking. But um, 
uh, he he was uh, I guess I'll just say he was like pretty drunk, <laughs> and uh, he did this pretty hilarious uh, interpretation or whatever, like acting out like the part where Optimus slices off Bone Crusher's head. Okay, <laughs> like had to be there, like of course, like anything else, but it was it was pretty hilarious. Um, I don't know. I ever haven't really had any like too too many funny stories at conventions. I have gone to. A very small handful. I, I'm only. I'm starting to try to go to more. Um, like I like just this last weekend or the weekend before. I forget. Just recently, I, I went to a, like a general comic convention uh, up in Portland, Oregon, and um, so that was fun. That was an experience. I and mean, it's always when you when you go to those more general ones. You, I mean, you always get uh, a lot of crazy stuff. A lot of a lot of overweight slave Leia's <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> okay, which is always hilarious nothing against you know whatever those people who do that but um <laughs> i don't know uh yeah i mean i i guess the the, the good stories that i take away from the convention is getting to meet all the fans and uh talking with everybody and, and just seeing meeting all the people who for some strange reason like like my work or follow my work which just blows my mind <laughs> like uh i was at the convention in portland and i had a bunch of people uh not a bunch, but quite a few like little groups or whatever of fans who were like, Oh my gosh, I love more than meets the eye or I love your work. You're a real inspiration to me. And I'm just like, are you serious? Like that's wild. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like I, I'm just me. Like I'm just some guy who colors in his room all day with like zero contact with the world as far as any of that stuff goes. And so it's, I don't know. It's, it's humbling. It just kind of blows my mind um, that, that people care as much as they do. I mean, which I really appreciate it. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, who's the better, uh, colorist at IDW with who's the better Josh? I would say the better Josh <laughs> colorist. You were, you were Perez. Um, well, probably I'd have to say Perez. I don't know. He's just got those magic burrito powers that I just don't quite have yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And if you could combine Transformers with any other property in a crossover, what would you what would you do, and what would you like the story to be? Huh. Um, I don't know. Like, I crossovers have always been kind of add to me. Like, whenever the, I mean, I think a GI Joe crossover could be cool, potentially pretty cool, especially I guess kind of for the movie stuff, like what they what they did with the last GI Joe, and just kind of how the technologies kind of mesh or whatever. I think it'd be kind of cool to, to eventually do a live action GI Joe transformer crossover. I think that could be neat because really all nest is, is GI Joe (laughs) essentially. (laughs) So I think that could work as far as like the movies go. But as far as any other things, like, I don't know, like I hear people say like star Trek or star Trek or star Wars crossover or something, which is, it's just, it's just weird. It doesn't make sense to me, I guess. Like, why would, why would Captain Picard ever run into Optimus Prime? And why would that make any kind of interesting story? I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, I suppose it would be cool, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, crossover has kind of been, I don't know. Like, it has to make sense to me in my mind. Like, the G.I. Joe Transformer thing, that, that could make sense to me because I could see those, I could see those guys both existing in the same universe or the same world. And so that, I don't know, that's kind of where I am on crossovers, but, um, okay. yeah, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so do you have a favorite Transformers quote? Uh, favorite Transformers quote. Uh, 
it's probably got to be uh, the one shall stand, one shall fall. Uh, like from the original movie, like not how it's like so overdone now. <laughs> like back when it was cool. Yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> and, and not just the line to say. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, anything that comes out of Optimus or Peter Cullen's mouth is just gold to me. Um, <laughs> and what advice would you offer to someone who wants to get into your line of work? Um... Don't give up. Uh, like I, I, like I know that comic books is pretty. It's pretty tough uh, business to get into. Really, uh, I know a lot of. <clears throat> excuse me. A, a lot of people work like a good portion of their life just trying to get into some kind of published comic book work, and I, I've honestly been super lucky to to be able to to really to to get my foot in the door as easy as I have. I mean, it was just I I searched Dreamwave on AOL and I eventually came across somebody who worked there and that eventually led to me getting work for them, which is, I don't know, it's just, it, it was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty special kind of a thing. Like it just doesn't happen for everybody like that. And, and so I, I know it's a hard thing to do and there's, there's so much, uh, competition out there. So many other people with, with great talent and, and stuff and that they could contribute and, it's really it's a tough thing so i would just encourage um whoever and you know don't give up if it's what you really want to do then then do it practice it you know work it and and don't give up you know if people tell you tell you no or they they don't like your work whatever take the criticism you know and and put it to use put it to work and and come back next time and, and see what happens. Cause you just never know. I don't know. Like, um, <clears throat> when I, when I first applied at IDW, um, I, I sent an email to, to them, to, to Chris Ryle. I was like, Hey, I'm from Dreamwave. I'm, I have no work or whatever. Um, I used to color stuff, you know, no Transformers for Dreamwave. And w- would there be any room for me? And at first it, it was a no. I, I kind of got turned down saying, you know, they wanted to distance, distance themselves from that look and, and that kind of stuff as much as they could at the beginning, um, which is understandable. And so, um, uh, if, if I would have just taken that as just the end, you know, the, def- the definitive no forever, um, then I, I wouldn't, probably wouldn't be working on more than meets the eye right now and all, all the other projects that I've worked on. Um, but, um, I, I took what he said, you know, he, he was wanting to go for something that wasn't Dreamwave and they were known for a certain style of coloring and a certain look. And, um, so I, I took that and kind of reinvented myself, came up with, with different styles of coloring and, um, came back at them and, uh, I got, I got the gig coloring the Beast Wars miniseries and I went from Beast Wars to, you know, all her Megatron spotlights and da 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 wreckers and more than meets the eye and, and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, don't give up. Be persistent. If it's what you want, then go for it. All right. That's great advice. So, uh, if people want to buy copies of your work, uh, how can they do that? Um, uh, well, more than meets the eye comic books come out every month, most <laughs> of the time. <laughs> so, uh, your local comic book shop or online. The places like Comixology, they sell digital copies of the comics. Um, and actually the Machine Wars comic that I drew, uh, I know solicitations have gone out for that. And I guess that issue is coming out in November or something. So, uh, again, com- comic shop or wait for it to come out on Comixology, whatever. Um, that's where all my published stuff is going, is going out on. And it, it, as far as like commission work, I do do commission work when I can. Um, 
uh, you just get a hold of me on my website, dcjosh.com. You just you send me an email through there, and uh, we'll talk, I guess. I don't know. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, are there any other ways that people can find you online? Yeah, uh, I have a DeviantArt uh, website. It's just dcjosh.deviantart.com. I've got the, my regular website, which I just said, dcjosh.com. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and uh, most of uh, the major Transformer message boards, I guess, TFW, AllSpark, Full Metal Hero, you know, wherever. I'm around. All right. <laughs> uh, anything else uh, you'd like to tell us before we wrap up the interview portion? Um, uh, I guess, thank you. If, if you're listening to this because I work on More Than Meets CI, thank you for, for buying More Than Meets CI and enjoying it or hating it if you don't like it, whatever. <laughs> at least you, at least you've read it. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks so much for the support on the book and here's to season two. Here's to Dark Cybertron. Awesome. And that, thanks for coming on. We really enjoyed having you on and getting to pick your brain a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. We're going to move on to a couple of our regular segments. So we're going to start with toys. And Daryl, why don't you start us off there? Okay, let's uh, let's get into a re-release that just came out uh, a couple days ago. We heard that Masterpiece Starscream version 2 was coming back out. And it is the Coronation Kit version. So you're getting the cape, the crown, the uh, shoulder pads, all that jazz. And... Uh, it uh, is being released uh, late November 2013, so later this year. Um, the part that's bumming me out about it is the price they're putting it up for is $200. So $199.99 has been confirmed on BBTS and TF Source, and that's bumming me out uh, a lot just because the uh, the original figure when it came out uh, was like $60, $70. Now, granted, that figure did not come with the coronation kit, but is the coronation kit really worth one hundred and thirty dollars? Is it is it just the crown? What else does comes with the kit? You got a cape, like a big purple cape, and these uh, the sh- the purple shoulder pads, essentially okay. making him look like he he did just before he got blown to bits. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, for me, it's not worth the <laughs> the one hundred and thirty dollars. But no, the, my only hope is that uh, because this is a Takara reissue, that uh, Hasbro grabs onto it like they they do. And uh, we get it in North America here for a bit cheaper. I'm hoping maybe a hundred dollars cheaper. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I guess I'm like I missed out on on the last round when it came out, and I've been wanting to to get to get him uh, just because I kind of got a little masterpiece collection, and he's like the one that I'm missing. But he's going for like three hundred fifty bucks on eBay and stuff. And oh yeah, he's easily. like totally unavailable on all the websites so as soon as this popped up i got an email i was like man i'm pre-ordering right now because i do not want to miss it <laughs> i don't want to pay like 500 bucks or whatever that hit this guy will eventually go for which is just ridiculous and even 200 bucks is like it's pushing it because it, it's it's the same figure i mean it's remolded a little bit like the different head and the legs are kind of different or whatever but that's about it i mean it's the same figure really as the other mm-hmm. ones but if you can find Acid Storm in the store right now, that is the exact same figure, just painted differently. Yeah, and what's he like seventy five bucks or something like that? At most. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's what's really driving me crazy about it. So yeah, it's yeah, it. I don't know. He is he's the only one I need out of the original three uh, seekers as well. 
And I figured if I was going to get one, it would be the coronation kit version as well. So mm-hmm. 200 bucks is that's over my price range on him. But like I said, if he comes to North America, I, I bet yeah, he'll be cheaper. Yeah, which I'm sure he probably will. I mean, they've been doing the Masterpiece stuff pretty consistently here lately. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Jeremy, you found another Masterpiece figure that's uh, on the horizon, right? Yeah, and I think I like this one a lot more than Daryl's, as much as I like the Starscream. <laughs> um, Big Bad Toy Store broke the news that Masterpiece tw- or MP22 is going to be Ultra Magnus with trailer, and they're calling it the Perfect Edition. And it's going to be based off of the MP22. MP10, you know, Optimus Prime figure, but it's going to have a new functional trailer that combines with the cab to, you know, be the big Ultra Magnus, um, the, you know, the classic look. They don't have any pictures of it. They just stuck the, the G1 box art on their listing and they, they have it as, um, pre-order at $279.99. So, I mean, it's pretty pricey, but, I know people have been wanting, ever since MP1 came out, people have been wanting an Ultra Magnus version. Yeah, so let's hope Hasbro bring this brings this one stateside, too. <laughs> yeah. My problem is I just can't wait for that stuff. I always end up buying the Takara stuff, and then I just kick myself, because it comes out like a, a year or so later at like $100 cheaper, and I was like, meh, should have <laughs> waited. But my thing is, like, you just never know, like, you no. never know until like all much later, and the prices of the Takara ones are like super high. So I was like, "Man, gotta jump yeah, on sometimes it." There's, <laughs> yeah, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason as to what Hasbro brings over or what they don't. Exactly. Yeah, like Acid Storm for one, he was like he he wasn't a Takara one. Like they just kind of randomly like, "Man, let's just do him." Like yeah. for no reason. <laughs> I was like, oh, "Okay, I guess." But yeah, I mean, normally I wouldn't like Ultra Magus. He was never really a big favorite, but. Since I've been spending so much time with him on more than meets the eye, like I have to get this thing. <laughs> like, I don't care what it looks like, and the masterpiece, the MP10 Optimus is just perfect. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm anxious to see how they're going to do that. Probably. I'd like to see someone make a third-party little um, minimus ambus that could fit in the cab. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. Like, it'd be better if you had a little minimus ambus. <laughs> it would they're, be. Uh, there was a picture, I posted it here for you guys to take a look at. This figure, this Masterpiece Ultra Magnus, has been in the works for just over two years now. And it was uh, designed by um, uh, a famous Japanese uh, designer. And he's pictured in the, in the, in the story beside uh, MP10. And it's, um, it's a gorgeous-looking prototype. Now, if it's the actual, if it's the similar figure that uh, we would be getting, it looks fantastic. And you guys mentioned, uh, I think it was Jeremy mentioned MP01. Uh, there was a, right. an Ultra Magnus figure uh, with MP01. It was just MP01 recolored white, which is right. But there wasn't the trailer. No, there wasn't the trailer. It's I've so. always felt that that's a, a, a you know, just a an, a lazy man's you know Ultra <laughs> Magnus. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That that prototype is what it was just the MP10, but with like the G1 like Magnus cut up and taped on him or something like that. No, this is, uh, it, it actually looked, uh, um, like it was redone. There, I've seen the picture that you're talking about, um, and it's, uh, and it's, it's, this one's, this one's a legit prototype. Okay, okay. From a couple years back. But, uh, but yeah, no, it looks, uh, it looks really good. So, I mean, obviously it's, it, um, it's definitely gonna be bigger because it's got the MP10 body in it, but it's, uh, it looks really good. It'd be interesting to see if it's gonna be, um, 
a lot more parts for me, but uh, who knows? We'll never, we won't know until we start seeing a little bit more pictures of it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Yoshi, what have you got for us? Well, TFW's got some pictures of a Planet X Fall of Cybertron swoop prototype on their website. Um, and it, 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 it's a prototype, so the, it's, it, it's not finished. The colors are, are not right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it looks like the swoop from uh, Fall of Cybertron to me, and it's, uh, it's pretty gnarly looking. There's not a super lot of information on it yet as far as a release date or, or, or how long we're going to have to wait for it. But um, it's kind of neat that they're working on this. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hadn't seen this one. I, I Like I saw, isn't there one that like it transforms into a cassette? Like the, from the cassette to like a fall Cybertron swoop looking thing? Like I've seen that, but I hadn't seen this. This is like a full-on figure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Who's who's doing the cassette ones? That's, um, oh, there's that one. Uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but they're just... Oh, it's um, uh, Keith Fantasy Club. They're oh, okay. doing all the cassettes. I think, yeah, they're doing all the dinosaurs or the Dinobots. I think um, now, um, but the Dinobots themselves—they're they're more popular now than I can I can remember them being in recent memory. But uh, but yeah, so you're going to see a lot of Dinobots all over the place. Oh yeah, well, especially with the movie too. <laughs> with the movie, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and to think Hasbro wanted to get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Were they never children? <laughs> Did they not remember robots and dinosaurs or like the top things for a six year old boy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I'll finish up well, the toy section with a uh, third party toy coming out called Nova Lord, which is basically an Overlord toy. So it's a kind of a reimagining of Overlord in the style of IDW. So. Of course, we're all familiar with him from Last Stand of the Wreckers and More Than Meets the Eye. Uh, Josh, did, you colored Last Stand of the Wreckers too, didn't you? I did, yeah. Okay, so you are quite familiar with Overlord. Uh, who? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so um, Big Bad Toy Store is accepting pre-orders for this uh, Overlord toy. It claims to be the largest uh, third-party transforming robot in the world, 16 inches tall. And it's uh, got it's a you know it's just like the the old G1 Overlord. It's a double power master, and it turns into all you know lots of different things: assault base, aircraft carrier, supersonic fighter jet, tank, and massive robot. And yeah, so it's also a little bit pricey. So it's, they're taking pre-orders for 250 bucks. So if you're really into Overlord, <laughs> it has that all- BTS one, huh? Mm-hmm. It also turns into a wallet vacuum. <laughs> it it would be interesting. I mean, I think this one is either going to be a really, really amazing toy, or it's going to be a bust. It just seems like it's one of those shoot the moon type projects. They're they're going for everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of skeptical. I guess, like speaking as like a fan or a collector or whatever, like I, I bought some third party stuff. You know, I won't say that I don't like them or whatever, but. Um, like they just shown like one of the designers from Mastermind, like they they showed a, a a render of an Overlord like in the Mastermind style, the MMC. So I'm thinking like the I like the I, the rumor is that that MMC is going to do an Overlord, and I like like I think that one will probably eventually trump this one. Like it's smaller, less pricey kind of a thing. So I don't know how well this one's going to go over. Like it'd be interesting to see. Like I don't think I'm going to buy it because I just I have no room for anything that big. Like even 
like I have the G1 Overlord, and that thing's like big enough. Like what? <laughs> so I, I have no room for anything like this, or, or the the price. It's like 250 bucks or whatever. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Like I'd like because it's Overlord. I'd like for it to do good, just because I love the character. But I don't know. For 250 bucks, you can just buy a couple of the new Metroplexes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And uh, also, I have an update from uh, a couple of episodes ago. We talked about a third-party Fortress Maximus. So uh, if you bought both of these, you could have your Overlord torture your Fortress Maximus for a little <laughs> while. Uh, so this was from Perfect Effect, and they they calling it uh, Warden. This is another uh, kind of an IDW-style Fortress Maximus figure. And the cool thing about this is that it transforms into the head of a G1 Fortress Maximus. So you can actually... Stick it onto a G1 Fortress Maximus if you have one of those lying around. So they're estimated to arrive in March 2014, and they have a price of only 150 bucks. So it's a little bit, uh, I guess, more reasonable, but it's also probably a smaller figure. So, yep, yeah, I'm totally getting that guy. <laughs> <laughs> it looks cool. All right, so that'll wrap up our toy section, and we'll move on into comics. Comics. <laughs> and uh, so we don't have any idw releases uh this week but we do have one bit of news so uh our well-known uh, transformers artist nick roche is going to draw a marvel uh death's head one-shot comic that'll be out in 2014 uh mm-hmm. so <laughs> so this will actually feature uh death's head 2 which is a separate character from the original death's head that was created by simon Furman back in the uh, g1 UK comics. Uh, but yeah, what's cool about this is that Nick Roche uh, put a tweet out uh, earlier this year saying, uh, you know, just randomly saying to Marvel, I'd like to draw a Death's Head, you know, comic. And now his dream came true. So <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> a tweet and an AOL message have changed people's lives. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think this will be pretty cool. Like I, I've actually, I've seen a little a, a drawing of Death's Head Two by Nick Roach. Um, I got a little sneak peek, and it looks pretty cool. Like any fan of Nick Roach, they're not going to want to miss this this little one shot issue. Hopefully, it leads to other stuff because it looks pretty cool. Awesome. All right, and now we're going to move into our regular classic comic section. So we have another classic G One Transformers comic uh, that we're going to talk about, and this is issue number seven of the original Marvel run. Warrior School. So, Yoshi, why don't you take us back to a simpler time back in the 80s? <laughs> the 80s. I wish. Nostalgia is the best time traveling machine we have, guys. <laughs> um, so, uh, issue seven, we have, uh, you know, where Buster is recovering from the mind dump that Optimus Prime felt he had to do. Uh, we're going to find out what happens next. Now, the cover of this one, again, to me, the way that they're drawing the people just so outclasses the Transformers. And uh, we talked a little bit about that last episode. But Buster is just, I think, done so well on this cover compared to Ratchet and Megatron, who are also there. But uh, the issue starts off with uh, Ratchet and Buster. Basically, um, they've fled from the Ark. They're, they're kind of stomping through the woods. And they come across campers and... Ratchet is just completely fascinated by this. He's, what are you guys doing? You're cooking hot dogs? What's a hot dog? This this fire that you're cooking them on is so inefficient. Let me show you how to cook them faster. And uh, 
That little uh, back and forth between the campers who aren't scared to death goes on for a couple of pages. Um, and Buster has kind of a mental breakdown uh, as a result of Optimus Prime's uh, brain dump at the end of that whole little hot dog fiasco that Ratchet is so concerned about. And he comes to, and once uh, once Ratchet seems he seems to be okay, he uh, he kind of leaves Buster there to find his way back to his dad with the help of the campers while Ratchet goes back to the Ark and uh, tries to assess what he can do. The Decepticon side of things, Shockwave is ordered orders Soundwave and Laserbeak to attack another one of GB Blackrock's uh, installations. This time it's an aerospace installation. Um, so he sneaks in in his alt mode, and so does Laserbeak. Before, uh, once they get inside, they just start blowing things up. And uh, GB Blackrock uh, goes to Josie in the hospital and kind of tells her what's been going on. And she is uh, very concerned about this. And uh, she's been working hard to figure out a solution to, to Mr. Blackrock's issues, which will uh, become very apparent in the next couple of issues, what she's been working on. Ratchet makes his way back into the Ark, and uh, he sees all of the Autobot bodies hanging from the ceiling, and he's just in shock from it all. Uh, he eventually finds Optimus Prime's head, and Optimus Prime tells him, you know, you have to be the warrior now. Nobody else is left. You have to, you have to find a way for us to, to survive this. Comic cuts back to uh, Buster, and he's made it back to his dad's uh, auto shop. Remember, his dad's uh, in the hospital right now, and all the cars that his dad needs to work on are starting to pile up in the parking lot out back. And he's freaking out. He doesn't know anything about fixing cars as as much as he's been with his dad. He just has no clue how to handle this. And his friends are telling him it's all right. Don't worry about it. And uh, he snaps at him. Uh, you know, I have to worry about it. My dad's not around. And so his friends leave him. He has another mental uh, migraine uh, as a result of the brain dump. And uh, when he comes to, he notices a bunch of the tools in his dad's auto shop have been floating. And he kind of thinks now he's got telekinesis as a result of it. Ratchet stumbles across Megatron in the Ark, and uh, they decide to team up together. They actually had a word for that. What was that called? The Rite of Oneness. The Rite of Oneness, thank you. Which is an unbreakable bond between Transformers. (laughs) Ratchet uh, agrees to find a way to take out Shockwave. In return, Megatron will... Uh, leave the Ark and the Autobots alone. Basically, just take his Decepticons, go away, and, and leave them alone so that they can get themselves back together. This kind of unintentionally foreshadows something that happens way, way in the future of the Transformers series with Ratchet and Megatron, where they literally become one Yeah, much, much later. <laughs> right. It is interesting to think about that, though, because there's at issue, what are we, seven here? Yeah. There's absolutely no way that they had planned that. Well, oh, yeah. So much later, right? So it's really odd that they would they would go right back to that so later. Anyway, continue. Well, that, that's that's pretty much how it ends. They they make this agreement. Uh, they can't break it, and uh, Megatron feels like there's no way Ratchet's going to be able to pull it off, and he's going to come out the victor regardless of of what Ratchet does or not do, does. And uh, it'll be continued in the next episode, which is the first appearance. Of, well, the first interactive appearance of the Dinobots. Yeah, and that's issue eight, That'll and we'll talk about that next week. All right, and, you know, one thing, uh, I, I actually 
the art in this issue is is much better than the last two issues. I think they they changed the artist here. So uh in this issue it's William Johnson and the previous issue was who was it? Uh Alan Kupperberg. And I think this guy does a lot better job with the Transformers. I mean, the humans are are always uh, pretty well done, but the but Ratchet and Megatron in particular I think are pretty well rendered here. I you know, Transformers are such a new thing. It's not anything anybody's really drawn before and you can see that they're experimenting a little bit with with facial expressions and 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 how to put it together in a less I almost want to say insulting way, but a less blocky way. <laughs> I I also think it's funny how, you know, Ratchet he's trying to he's got some, you know, uh medical tools, you know, built into his his arms and he tries to use them as weapons on on Megatron. It looks like he's he's like shooting him with a squirt gun, you know, with these grape juice out of a squirt gun and, and Megatron's just laughing. Aren't his weapons actually stolen in it's one of the later 20 issues by uh, the mechanic? Yeah, that's right. And his weapons are way more boss than <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I guess for for a human they're like pretty cool, you know, high technology weapons, but for I guess for an Autobot, they're just you know simple surgical tools. I don't know. Yeah, they they do seem a little bit more powerful in the, oh, those issues with the mechanic. Yeah, no, they freeze. I mean, Ratchet himself gets frozen in place from one of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe Megatron's just that tough. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and and you know that's of course uh, all these issues were colored by uh, Nell Yamtov so that that guy stuck through you know I think every every issue of the old G1 series uh in the US so you know we had we had one colorist on the entire run and uh it's pretty interesting that he was the one guy that stuck through the whole series and how did they do it without photoshop <laughs> <laughs> This week, we don't have any uh, TV or movie news, so we'll just uh, move right on to our trips to the store. So, Daryl, what did you pick up this week? Well, I didn't get any figures or comics, but I did go to my uh, my local comic book shop, and, and there I was talking with the owner. Uh, and he was talking to me about some cool stuff that he had uh, you know, bought in a collection and stuff like that. And, and he showed me this um, this box that he had up on a shelf, and I looked at it, and it was a it was an, uh, a G1 Optimus Prime box, but the thing was humongous. And I thought, well, what the hell is in that thing? And and he said, well, it's it's a custom-made box for an MP01 convoy. Uh-huh. So the, And I thought, oh, man, that thing's awesome. And I said, well, I have a, a MP01 convoy so that with the, the cab and the trailer. And um, and I said, he said, well, I have an extra box. I just don't, I'm, I have a cab, but I'm waiting for a trailer. And I said, yeah, you're going to wait a long time for those trailers because they don't, they're not, there's not a lot of them by themselves. You know, you either bought the figure by itself or you bought the figure with the trailer. So, yeah. So he said, well, do you want it? I'll, I'll sell it to you. So I bought this box off him for 20 bucks, which I thought at the time I was thinking 20 bucks for a box, but I got it home. It needed a little bit of love. I had to glue some of the, uh, the, uh, the poster. I sent, essentially it was a poster back onto the box. And uh, I put my uh, my MPO one in it, and wow, <laughs> it looks awesome! You luck out every time, every week with something awesome like that. <laughs> yeah, I seem to find stuff. Yeah, you do. Yeah, it's just everything is in Canada. Yeah, <laughs> I um I 
the only problem is I have nowhere to put this thing now. It's so big. I, I actually think I have to redesign my entire Transformers shelving layout to get this thing on a shelf. You know, if that's a problem you don't want to have, I'll help you. I'll, I'll take it from you, and, and that'll solve your, your problem. <laughs> okay, okay. It was interesting cause, because he had one at the store that was in the box, and it was priced and stuff, and he wanted $350 for it. And I thought, well, there's a price. I actually know what this thing is worth now. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's 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 what I got this week. It's uh, it's really cool, and uh, it's just a just a chunk of cardboard. Uh, what, do you know where this thing got made, or, or any of the history? Yeah, actually, it? Um, I can tell you, it's from it's made by a guy that actually lives in in my hometown here. Of course, apparently the guy made three of them, and obviously kept one for himself. Sold the other two to the store, and uh, his name is. He was on the uh, he was on the boards the TFW board as Masterpiece Man. You can actually see he had a he had a Radicon on WTF or sorry uh, TFW, um, and it was under the Masterpiece uh, Radicons. And yeah, he's got a, a really cool little setup. shows you shows you the box with uh, with his figure there in it. And uh, yeah, so I, I looked it up. I went to uh, following his you know little trail that he left. And apparently he sold off all of his collection back in either 2009 or 2011, a couple of years back anyway. And um, part of the collection was he wanted to get rid of two out of the three boxes that he had, uh, that he had made. And, and so, yeah, I've ended up with one of these things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there is still one out there that you can buy. And it's at the, uh, it's at Heroes downtown London <laughs> for $350. That's, that's London, Ontario, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jeremy, what what are you picking up this week? Well, I don't have it in hand yet, but um, my sister-in-law is going to New York Comic Con. Well, I guess by the time this is uploaded, it'll probably be she has been to New York Comic Con. But she asked me if there was anything I wanted her to pick up for me. And I saw um, Nick Roach and Andrew Griffith. Are, and they have a booth there in the Artist Alley. And I already had a um, like a sketch cover done by Andrew Griffith from a TFCon, so I've been wanting to get the hardcover for Last Stand of the Records for a while. So I ordered it from Amazon, shipped it to her, and she's gonna get him to sign it. Nice. So I'm I'm stoked about that. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I'd be stoked. Yeah, it must be nice to have a sister go to a comic book convention for you. Get all your yeah, stuff well, and stand in lines and everything for you. It must be something in her family because my wife, when we went to buy kind of stuff, she would just go and stand in line for me. Wow. And I don't know. She's a keeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she would just stand there and like listen to her audio books and <laughs> she didn't care about what was going on. Sweet. But my sister-in-law is actually going to the con for her own like sci-fi interests. So I'm just, I'm happy that she's going to do this side thing for me and and get the book signed. Mm-hmm. I know. All right. So, Yoshi, what are you picking up this week? I got Mars Attacks IDW at your guys' suggestion. I think we were talking about it offline one day. Damn right you should. <laughs> well, I did. It's not a should. I did. <laughs> um, and Damn right you better. Uh, God, you Canadians are so rude. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's... 
it's all the individual uh, stories. Mars Attacks Kiss, Mars Attacks Ghostbusters, Mars Attacks Popeye, and Mars Attacks Transformers. And you guys were 100% right. The whole Transformers thing was just a fun ride of awesomeness. <laughs> it's, the most, it's the newest thing of Transformers I've read, and that's pretty sad. But uh, it was funny, and it was... The whole the whole bit with Buster's boots just had me cracking up. <clears throat> so and I, it's co- Cosmos's alt mode actually being useful. Yeah, for a change. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the insults Megatron was flinging it at Optimus Prime. It was just it was a fun ride. I'm glad you guys made me get this. Thank you very much. All right, yeah. Let us know how the other stories are. I actually haven't read any of the other ones. I've only read the Transformers one. Yeah, sure. I just uh, I just started a couple of, right before we sat down to do this. I was a couple of pages into the Ghostbusters story. Cool. All right, and Josh, uh, have you picked up anything this week? Not this week. Uh, I got some stuff coming. Um, I uh, recently I just got the I got the uh, Mache Toys Hypernova, uh, Nova Prime figure, which is pretty darn sweet. I also got a, a knockoff Browning, you know, the G1 Master Force, I think it was, Browning toy. There was some knockoff that just came out of that. And I uh, got a Masterpiece Prowl on the way. Should be here like Tuesday, I think. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Awesome. Very cool. cool. Very, pretty very cool, cool stuff. You need to get a little table for him to flip. I know. That's. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I wish that it came came with one. I don't know why it didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's a ball drop for, for mm-hmm. sure for a Masterpiece on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and, and sadly for me, I haven't gotten anything this week. So what? Uh, <laughs> what? So yeah, I'm uh, just sitting here with uh, nothing to talk about, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, everything you guys got sounds pretty cool. So maybe I'll maybe I'll pay a visit to your guys' houses and, and pick up some stuff. <laughs> Live vicariously. <laughs> All right, I think uh, we're gonna wrap the show up here. We've we've gone on pretty long, but the, it was it was a really great show having Josh on to talk with us. And again, thanks, Josh, for spending some time with us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Great. Anytime. <laughs> Careful, we'll hold you to it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think we're gonna sign off here. So uh, we'll see you soon. And keep listening. Keep sending in some feedback from listeners, and we hope. We'll hear from you guys soon, and we'll talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Adios. Thanks for picking up our transmission. Give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com, where you can find all of our contact info on social media and links to all of our show notes discussed in each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com.